Amen. Thank you, team. Well, I pray that is true for all of us, that as we reflect on the amazing love of God, we derive great joy out of the greatest source of joy there is, the love of God and who He is. And honoring Him is just a natural outpouring of that. We're going to continue our study this morning uh, looking at who we are in Christ. And we're going to finish, for some of you, finally, after a little bit of time in Romans 8. And we could spend a lot more, I promise. But we're going to look at the last few verses. And we're going to do something this morning that we haven't done in a, as a long, in a long time as a church. So would you rise with me? And we're going to read the scriptures responsively this morning. If you wonder, what does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. You're going to see two colors of text on the screen. When it's black, you read. Any other color, it's me. Got it? And I'll help you get started with with those times. But we're going to be reading Romans chapter 8, verses 28 on to the end of the chapter. So let's read together. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son and gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies Who shall separate... Oh, this is all of us. Try this again. Sorry, I got ahead of myself. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Lord, I pray that as we wrestle with some sometimes mysterious truths of your word this morning, that you would guide our conversation, that the words spoken would be your words. And that as we look at the scriptures, we won't just read them, but we will understand, we will apply, and we will live them. Lord, be glorified. 
and how we offer our lives as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you. In your name I pray, amen. Well, this morning we're going to discuss something that often is called one of the great divine paradoxes of God. How can a God that says we have free will also be the God that foreknows and predestines us to an eternity? It's a confusing topic, and it's one that is a bit scary. And often it's, it's one that people love to discuss and argue about inside and outside the church because in, in human minds, it doesn't always make sense. And, and we get a little uncomfortable by that. But I'd like to pose a question to you that says maybe a little bit of cognitive dissonance, a little bit of discomfort is an okay thing. Because if you were a man, I'd like you to listen to me for a minute. If you were a man, you have probably met a woman at some point in your life, correct? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume yes. Now, if you are a man and you have met a woman, many of you may have fallen in love with a woman, correct? Some of you have. And some of you have even gotten married. And that's a great thing. And we love marriage. We're celebrating Rosella and Justin getting married in just nine, ten, nine, ten days away. And I'm very excited. I can't wait. And it's wonderful. But men, if you didn't discover it before you got married, you discovered it shortly thereafter. Women don't make any sense. You can think you know what your wife wants. You can give her what you think she wants. And the body language tells you you were dead wrong. (laughs) That may have happened to some of you, has it not? Now, I'm not letting men off the hook. Apparently, we're quite confusing too. I think I make perfect sense, but others have disagreed. But yet, do we stop loving our wives just because we don't always understand them? No. Do we say there's no way to enjoy a relationship with them because we don't understand every single thing about them? No. Do we sometimes get so blown away that the mystery that is our spouse that we actually love them more? Because I'll tell you, I've only been married 12 years, right? Yeah. And... (laughs) Yes, okay. I've only been married 12 years. And I love discovering new things about my wife. Things I didn't know before as she grows, as I grow, as we grow together. And now I live in a house where there's four women of various ages and two guys. And we're confused a lot. But we love one another, right? And it's an amazing joy of relationships. It's an amazing joy of growing together in relationship. Well, as we look at the context of Romans 8, Paul walks us through an understanding of the fact that we are loved by God. We are secure in Christ. Our identity, those who have believed in him, who have been brought in as sons and daughters, adopted through the wonderful substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ, have been brought into the family of God, co-heirs with Christ, and we can approach God as Abba, Father. We talked about that a few weeks ago. We are loved by God in a love that is immeasurable, unimaginable, and we'll never get to the end of it. And I think that's amazing. But Paul doesn't stop there. He also tells us that it's a privilege in verse 27 and before that 
we get to suffer in Christ. That that's actually part of our growth. That's actually, that is a part of the privilege of walking this earth as a member of the family of God. So if someone walks up to you and says, and I'm not trying to be critical here, but this is your best life now, they're wrong. Our best life is an eternity with Christ. Our best life is understanding that this world isn't all there is. That there is so much more. That these eternal sufferings, these, these not eternal sufferings, I got that wrong. These momentary temporal sufferings are just that. They're temporary. Many of you know I've been struggling health-wise for about a month And I got the wonderful news from the doctor this week that overall, I'm not that bad. The bad news was I'm not going to get any better. (laughs) And so it was discouraging. But as I've been wrestling with Romans, really five, six, seven, and eight specifically, it just came back to, you know, thanks, Lord. You've given me the strength. The strength isn't in me. And it could be worse. And even if it was worse, you're still God and you have a plan. Because I know Romans 8, 28. For we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Well, what's the purpose? Well, the purpose, as we'll see today, is that we are to be made like Christ. Remember, we were told in verse 27, the spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And so we know God's will is very specific. And for those in Christ, it is to become more like Christ. In general terms, to those who love God, which means those who are called according to his purpose. One writer says it like this. Christians are defined both by their loyalty, their love for God, and by God's purpose and call for their lives for those people those people in christ remember we've got to do some review we know that the suffering of this present time the good things of this present time that all of this works together for the good not just of the believer but of all of creation There's more at stake than just what's good for me right now. We are in this together. The working together of all things under God reminds us of the birth pangs of the new creation that we look forward to. Remember, we're standing on tiptoes. Creation is standing on its tiptoes, looking forward to renewal, looking forward to what is yet to come. Then Paul moves on. He says, okay, all things work together for the good of those who love him in Christ Jesus, who've been called according to his purpose. And Paul works us kind of through what we call five movements, or as many called it, the golden chain of salvation. And it starts with those scary words. You've got foreknowledge, predestination, calling, justification, and glorification. So we're going to pause today and we're going to just look briefly at a little of these and what they mean. But what I want us to do is I want us to try to get a a picture of what, if, if, if we kind of understood a little bit of this foreknowledge and predestination, how we might understand it. But let me start by saying we are not God. Okay. 
God is holy. He is sovereign. He is worthy of all we could give him and way more. In his holiness, I cannot possibly understand. Do you think we could worry about the air conditions later? Would that be okay? I could not possibly understand all that is God because let me put it this way. I'm not a particularly intelligent guy. If I understood all there is to know about God, how much of a God would he really be? If my intelligence defines who God is, then we are stuck because I don't care how smart you are in comparison to the greatness, the grandeur and the holiness of God. We know nothing. It's why when we talk about God, we look at his omnipotence. He is all powerful. We look at his omnipresence. He is everywhere. Can you explain that to me? No, you can't be everywhere. If you've got children, you try to be everywhere and it doesn't work. And then we get to his omniscience. He knows everything. And we like that about God. Most of us like to know that God is omniscient. But the thing is, if he's omniscient, then he knows all, correct? Yes. And then we get to the verse that says he predestined and it confuses us. So what if we thought of it in context of parenting? Not any specific kids, but if you were ever a kid, likely at one point in time, your parent looked at you and said, if you do that, you will get hurt, right? Yeah. It's like your parents knew what was about to happen, didn't they? For instance, if you've ever been around a hot stove, I think every kid in the world at one point is told, don't touch the hot burner, right? And what does the little boy do next? Runs right over and touches it. Now, did the parent make the child do that action? No. Did they know it was going to happen? Yeah, they knew. In that little way, we can understand a little bit of foreknowledge. We can't understand the greatness of how God works all this together. But we've seen it in our own children. God looks down at his earth and his creation, and he can miraculously know what we're going to do. And yet, allow us to choose. I don't completely understand that. And I love that mystery of God, that he is so great in his love, that he has a plan, that he is sovereign, he is in control, and he includes me and us in that plan. And he gives us very specific marching orders to invite others into his family, to make disciples, baptizing them and all baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Consider the greatness of God, okay? If in just a very limited example, we know when our kids are going to do something, we tell them not to do it and they still do it, do we still love them? Yeah, we still love them. The amazing thing about God is he both knows and continues to love us with an unending eternal love that goes throughout all eternity. He's not bound by time. So when we talk of words like foreknowledge and predestination, if God is, as some say, he's above or outside of time, is it really foreknowledge and predestination? Maybe not. Maybe it's just knowledge. 
because he is so much bigger that he works outside of the linear model of time that you and I are confined to. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to give you a picture that God is so much bigger than you and I. And in his glorious holiness, in his glorious power, he anointed Paul to give us these words, to have even a small understanding of who he is and how he works. So that we look at the love of God throughout Romans 8. We see that it happens and it is expressed very specifically through the work of Christ. You look at Romans 8, 31 and 34 and we'll get there. But then we also see that the love of Christ is a reflection of the love of God. Whom the Son loves as does the Father. We are co-heirs with Christ. We are adopted through the work of Jesus Christ. So that when we get to Romans 8, 29 and 30, we begin to get this picture of God's great love poured out for you and I in ways that we won't understand this side of eternity. But that it is true nonetheless. And that maybe it's okay that God is much bigger, much grander than we can imagine. But what we do know is Paul gave us an outline. He explains as much as he could understand. As God anointed him, the words were given straight from the Lord to Paul. And it says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. We're going to start there. This is an issue that begins with perspective. If you are in Christ, we're talking about you right now. Foreknowledge a fancy word. It means before knowledge, right? If if you break it apart. But when it was referred to in the scriptures, it actually meant more than just knowing. For instance, I know two plus two is four. But I I can't honestly say I have a, a unique and intimate and loving relationship with that mathematical equation. I know it to be true, but it stops there. Two plus two is four. That's the end of it. This idea of foreknowledge throughout the scriptures was, it means so much more. It means that there is a relational context to God's knowledge working in us. In fact, John Stott refers to it as for love. That he so loves us that he invites us into this relationship with him and he ordains that relationship. That it is him at work. Hear me well. Nothing in the salvation process is us. We do not earn our way to God in any way, shape, or form. It's all God. And most of you would agree with me that salvation is not by works. It is through faith in God alone, right? But somehow in our theology, we get mixed up and begin to think we earn it. But if we truly believe the Bible is what it is true and it is accurate, then we know that it is God's plan from beginning to end, this stage that starts with foreknowledge and God's forelove for us. It's why Psalm 139 tells us that he knew us in our inmost being. It's why Jesus tells us that he knows how many hairs are on our head and that I'm losing more every day. God knows in a way that you and I can't even fathom. Foreknowledge means that salvation has its origin in the mind and eternal counsels of God, not in us. It focuses our attention on the love of God 
And I am so thankful for that because it reminds us that it is not about us. It is all about God. Salvation is God's tremendous gift of love to mankind that says if we believe in his son, Jesus Christ, we can be saved and enjoying eternity with him. So that when you get to that wonderfully deep word of predestination, we know that it reminds us of the destination to come to which those who are chosen are appointed. So what do I mean by that? Predestination means that God begins to put his personal knowledge, that for love, that relational knowledge God has of us. He made us, right? If we believe God is the creator, then we say he made us. Wouldn't the creator know its creation, right? It's kind of a simple concept. For instance, if, if I happen to ride in a minibus, I sincerely hope that whoever built that minibus, especially the one that goes to Sai Kung, put a lot of intention into making sure that it was well-crafted and safe, correct? Would the creator just flippantly make something and say, well, I hope that figures out its way on its own? No, it's not who God is. God takes great joy and pride in his creation, so much so that he looked down and he said, it is good. We are not good. We are sinful creatures. Apart from Christ, we are in the wrath of God. But in Christ, we are new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And so when we get to this concept of predestination, it begins, as I said already, God puts this personal foreknowledge into effect in that we would become perfectly Christ-like to be conformed to the likeness of his son so that we would be a part of the Christ-like family, the firstborn among many brothers. That the destiny for us that God predetermined for those in Christ is that we are to be made like Christ. That's awesome. Because I am frail. I am weak. I make bad decisions and I sin. But God and his great and sovereign love for me has a plan that in the long scheme of things means that right now I am growing to be more like Christ every day. I will not always do the right thing, but I can be forgiven. But when eternity comes, when Christ returns, I can know that I have been justified Through Christ, I'm seen right in God. I've been sanctified, set apart to become more like his son or more like Christ. And I will be glorified with him. I will be given a new body to enjoy him for all of eternity. I have been called by God for such a time as this. And I love that. Now, you say, Mike, I don't like this idea of predestination. I don't like thinking that my destiny is not my own. Well, if you're in the church, I would say maybe you do and you just haven't thought about it. R.C. Sproul, who's a, a brilliant mind, puts it to us in a couple of ways. He says there's two facts that show that we believe in a God that predestines more than we like to admit and more than we think about. First, he says, do you give thanks to God for your salvation? Okay, at least a couple of people say yes to that. Okay, if we give thanks to God for our salvation, what does that indicate about who is at work in our salvation? 
God, right? We do not thank Mike for our salvation. We do not thank uh, Sydney or anyone else. We thank God for his work in salvation and in our conversion. Why? Because in our hearts, we know full well that it was God that was entirely responsible for our salvation. We couldn't do it on our own. Now, I would like you to look at this candle. It's lit today, isn't it? That's awesome. Now, I want to tell you two stories. First, over a month ago, King came to me and the under-shepherds and shared a story of how he was pretty discouraged that things didn't go the way he'd planned on a trip to China. You ever have that where expectations aren't met the way you'd like them to? But as expectations weren't met, King decided that he would pray and that he would ask God to work it out. And as he told us, people showed up at the wrong time for a youth meeting that didn't exist because they were there on the wrong day. You ever show up for a meeting on the wrong day? It's a little bit uncomfortable. King, compelled by the Holy Spirit, felt like, you know what? We're going to go to KFC and we're going to have a chat. And so he sat down and he talked with three students for hours. And he began to walk them through what it means to be loved by God and who God is and how God is at work. And he continued these conversations for months over time. And last night I got an email from King saying, light the candle. One of them just accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. King could not plan that. King wouldn't have planned that because it went in exact counteraction to what King's plans were. That's why God is so good. Because we can put our best laid plans forward and God says, mine's way better. Do you trust me? Second, we love Cece and we have been praying for her and her family for months. Not too long ago, we got to wonderfully celebrate that her dad had come to accept Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior and was baptized. Well, last night, her mom accepted Christ. It has been months, years of prayer. In our timing, it would have been long ago. But our timing isn't God's timing. And I honestly don't always understand why he does things the way he does things. He's God, I am not. But he's at work. We must never forget that, that God has a plan. His ways are not our ways. They are way bigger. You with me? And when we begin to understand that God has a plan that will be worked out, we begin to understand that we are called into the family through him. We didn't do it on our own. That we are set apart. Sanctified is the fancy word. We've been justified through Christ. We talked about that. In Christ, we are righteous, not of our own volition. So that not only do we get the privilege of saying, I thank God for my salvation, but we don't take credit when somebody else comes to Christ. We're not giving king credit for that young lady coming to Christ. Nor am I giving Cece credit for mom coming to Christ. I'm saying, thank you, Lord, for working in hearts and minds. God is at work. Now, you tell me you don't like predestination? We need predestination because God is that big. He is that holy and he knows what we need far more than we understand it. His timing is perfect. So that when Paul goes on, he reminds us that it works. First, we look at John. Jesus tells us, you think, oh, oh, well, Paul's the one that explained predestination to us. No, Jesus talked about it first. And it's also talked about in Amos and throughout other scriptures. But in John, Jesus tells us this. My sheep listen to my voice. That's a good thing. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. That's great. Who does all of this? Not us, right? It's through Christ. 
and they shall never perish. I love that truth. Stand firm on that truth. No one can snatch them out of my hand. That sounds an awful lot like what we'll get to at the end of Romans 8. My father, who has, what? Given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hands. I and the father are one. The work of the Trinity, because later on, or already Jesus has told us, I'm giving you a counselor that will guide you, convict you of sins and teach you and show you and reveal to you the scriptures. I and the father are one. Okay, so we know God's had a plan. We know Jesus understood foreknowledge and predestination are a critical part of our growth in Christ. But then the amazing thing is, not only is predestination real, whether we like to acknowledge it or completely understand it, but so is belief. Because what are we told in John 8, 36, among many other scriptures, is that whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. So what do we do with that? Well, as I said previously, I am not the sharpest tool in the shed. But what I do know is this. God, in his amazing sovereignty, in his amazing ability to plan in ways that we don't understand, can know exactly what we're going to do and still allow us to choose to believe. Why? Because he is God and he loves us that much. We aren't robots. He allows us to make mistakes out of his love for us. Do we always choose to follow him? No. But you see, some people say that, well, if I believe in predestination, then what's the point of evangelism? Because it's all God's anyway. Well, in one sense, that's true. God does know and God does have a plan. But if we see this to be true, then wouldn't it be compelling to us to get out there, to do everything in our power, to introduce people to the person of Jesus Christ and invite them to believe in him and let the Holy Spirit do its thing? Shouldn't that get us out of our seats and say, God is great and he loves you so much? As one famous evangelistic tool said, God loves you and has a plan for your life. It's not just a plan for your life, it's a plan for eternity. It's way bigger than just you and I. So let's move on. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. I'm not going to be like Mike, I'm going to be like Jesus. Whew, that's good so that he, might be, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, that we are drawn together as the family. There is both the individual and the communal, that we are in this together. That's why it's so important that we learn to love one another. We're part of the family. And those he predestined, he called, the effectual call on our life that draws us unto himself. Those he also justified, he called, he also justified. We've talked about that. We are righteous before God because of Christ. It's what we remembered right here. Then he also glorified us. It's coming. We will be raised up, brought into eternity with Christ. We will be restored, new bodies, these bodies that are wasting away. I think of Wilson's son that is suffering from the tumors and the cancer. He will be given a new body and it will be glorious. And I'm sure he can't wait. My stomach will let me eat whatever I want. Others of you that have way worse will be able to enjoy things you haven't. But most importantly, the thing you'll enjoy most of all is God. 
and his great love. What then shall we say in response? Well, if God is for us, (laughs) isn't that great? If God is for us, if God is that big and we're that small, who in the world can possibly stand up to God? We may not always understand his timing. We may not understand why things don't go better here on earth, but our world is broken because of sin. But God is still God. His power has not been diminished. He who did not spare his own son, but gave, himself, gave him up for us all, the love of a father like nothing we could imagine. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? This world is just temporary. God promises us so much more that our perspective must be bigger. We must get smaller as our eyes turn to him and we see he is so holy and so righteous. Why wouldn't we want to offer all we have to him and say, take my life and let it be holy, pleasing, Lord, to thee. And then when Paul continues, he asks that wonderful question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall this thing, that thing, trouble, persecution, hardship, famine, nakedness, or sword? None of it can. And this is being written by a guy that understood it. The guy had been stoned. He'd been naked. He'd been shipwrecked. He'd been attacked. He'd been viciously, verbally abused. Everything had gone wrong for this guy. And he's talking about the love of God. And in Philippians, he tells us that it is for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. That's eternal perspective. He got it. And he's enjoying that time now. For your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered to be sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. This is not the end. You got it? But see, the thing is, we like control. We think that the world is about us, that we need to make sure that we are completely secure and happy in ourselves and being very self-sufficient. That's kind of the byword of culture these days. When I was in college, I worked for the Toccoa Falls College Office of Admissions, which meant I had to talk people into coming to our school. That was my job. Lucky for me, I liked to talk. But we would go on these four-day trainings every year to train new people how to talk to people. And I got roomed with a guy once that is easily the most ordered guy I have ever met. If you know me, you know that I'm somewhat ordered and I like things a certain way, but this guy ironed his jeans. And that didn't make any sense to me. He ironed his socks. I just hoped they matched. And we were put in the same room and I was like, oh Lord, this is gonna be tough. And you know what I did? At first, I picked on him. I would move things around his desk on purpose, just to see what he would do. And it was fun. But you know, I learned something about Doug over time because I decided that my attitude was wrong toward him, that even though he was so ordered, that that man loved God in a way that I admire still. I don't know him well, but he is a deep and wonderful thinker. But the amazing thing was his ordered life pointed him to the love of God in such a way that yeah, if you broke with his timing, he, he wasn't the most flexible guy. But when he sat down with you, you knew and you still know, he's a pastor now, you are loved. As ordered as he tries to keep his life, 
He is never too busy to talk to a person. And when you're with him, you know you are loved. Now we blow that up and we look at God who has ordered this universe in miraculously ways that we still don't understand. No scientist can confidently say, I understand all that goes on in this universe. God does. And in his order, he demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is a plan, ladies and gentlemen, that tells us nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you know that love? When things go wrong, do you fight in your own strength to fix it? Or do you say, Lord, my life is yours. Take it and use it however you see fit. Are you secure in Christ today that regardless of what goes on, you know that God has a plan and you just want to be a part of it and obedient to him out of great love for him? Or are you too busy trying to pad your own pockets, trying to fulfill your own purposes and those own agendas and doing things your way? So today, let us pray that God would strengthen our hearts that he would expand our vision to be able to look at him and say, wow, your plans are far greater than mine and that we are loved and nothing can separate us from that love. Lord, I thank you for your word. I am so grateful you have adopted me as your son into your family, co-heirs with your son, Jesus Christ. May we be a church that lives that out in obedience and invites others into the family. Would your Holy Spirit fall mightily upon this place that we would go out and we would say, do you know God loves us today? In your name I pray, amen.